Why did you pick patio enclosures? Why did you select a stanic window? And what were the things that you looked at or touched that led you to us? And this is actually a, a bit of the holy grail in the direct-to-consumer business is to understand what's the source of people's interests and how do you feed that interest? And, and in most cases, you know, what the data will tell you is it's not any one particular thing. It was I didn't go to the website. I didn't hear an ad. I, this, I, it's typically, on average, there's 12 touch points before somebody actually will get to the point where they'll pick up the phone. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the pleasure of speaking with Ed Weinfurtner, who is the executive chairman of Great Day Improvements and co-founder at Blue Olive Partners. Ed is an entrepreneur at heart and has been an investor, operator, and board member in a variety of privately held businesses over the past 40 years, developing specific expertise in direct-to-consumer home improvement, distribution, and manufacturing businesses. Most recently at the helm of Great Day Improvements, he has grown the company by an order of magnitude from $44 million to $922 million in sales in just seven years. In the last year alone, the company grew its remodeling jobs from 9,000 the year prior to nearly 68,000 this year. As one of the largest Northeast Ohio companies employing more than 2,100 people, Great Day Improvements is a vertically integrated direct-to-consumer provider of home remodeling and premium building products, which includes patio enclosures, brand sunrooms and screen rooms, Stanic brand windows and doors, Apex Energy Solutions energy-efficient windows and doors, and Hartshorn Custom Contracting Pool Enclosures. Since Ed had acquired the business in 2014, it has quadrupled in size and is now ranked as the 11th largest residential remodeling company in the whole U.S. by Qualified Remodeler. It was recently named among the fastest-growing private companies in America by Inc. Magazine and by Crane's Cleveland Business as the fastest-growing privately-held business in Northeast Ohio. I really enjoyed Ed's reflection on his own career and learning how he has navigated the business through the pandemic, the deluge of downstream headwinds to his business from labor shortages to inflated material costs, to double down on the company's core competency and find success through it. Please enjoy my conversation with Ed Weinfurtner. Looking forward today, Ed, to, to talking with you uh, really about a variety of topics uh, and kind of the, the breadth of your your kind of professional journey and experience, you know, in route to, to Great Day Improvements, where I think we'll spend, you know, a good portion of the conversation here today. I, I love to just get a sense for, you know, what drew you to the world of, of entrepreneurship, you know, particularly in the industries that, that you have interest and experience in from manufacturing to, to electronics, you know, where, where did the impetus for that actually come from? Yeah, well, well, first, Jeffrey, let, let me just say I'm honored that you are humbled that you would even be interested in, in me and my background and, and and all that. I grew up in a in a family of entrepreneurs. My father, when he was maybe forty ish, he had four little kids at home. He quit his job and started selling at the time electrical control panel products out of the basement of our house. And so that led to there being always projects, product modifications, boxes to be packed. So when I was was little, 
I'd earn a, a penny a piece or whatever to do some sort of project for him to to to, to get things going. So I mean, and I, I mean, like really little, like you know, ten years old, kind of little, and uh, so right. I grew with that, up with that, and a lot of conversation around the dinner table about business and the challenges and everything that comes with that, and and so it's not only. Me, I, I have two brothers and a sister, and my brothers are they're, they're entrepreneurs as well. Still to this day, we've done th- some things together and so on. So it's born and, and, and raised into the practice of being an entrepreneur. You have kind of a breadth of, of experience in, in serial entrepreneurship at this point. Maybe take us through some of you know those experiences with with Maverick uh, Electronics and Mega, and you know just kind of working your way through through your career. Where, where the inspiration for those came from, how, how you found yourself thinking through those opportunities, you know, what 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 were you, what questions were you asking? How, how did those come to be? Many times it, it, in a family business, you know, so my dad was an entrepreneur, right? And many times that yeah. is, what well, do the do the kids get involved? And you're the son of the boss, and and all the dynamics are kind of weird, and or maybe the dad retires and looks over the shoulder because he still has a financial interest. And my, my dad was was different in that he hit a point he was ready to retire. And so I was coming out of school. And basically, it was the sooner that, that I could help him and get up to speed so he could retire. That was that, that was it. And he had a, a, the, the business that he started when we were kids was, was a small business. There was 10 people, a little less than $3 million in revenue, selling in, in northeastern Ohio electrical control panel parts, right? And nobody grows up to say, hey, someday I'm going to sell electrical control panel pieces parts. But the opportunity presented itself. He he needed help to get into retirement. So my my two brothers and myself came in and we bought the business. So it wasn't that he was there looking over our shoulder for the financial interest. We found ourselves having a small business to run and I, I, I don't know, I was 24 years old or something like that. I mean, so, so and, and we sold parts that there was opportunity. This is a long time ago. This was in, in you know, early 1980s. And really with the advent of the printed circuit board and printed circuit board controls. And we saw opportunity to shift from the, the more heavy electrical control stuff to more printed circuit board control. And we were, we got involved in, in some product lines that were involved in the interconnection of printed circuit boards, so wire, cable, you know, connecting wire to board, board to board, this kind of thing. And we were selling as a distributor to original equipment manufacturing companies. So our, our deal was trying to get our products designed into theirs, and every time they'd make one, they'd buy, buy parts from us. And that was right place, right time. Electronics and printed circuit board control obviously kind of <laughs> took off, and so uh, uh, we went from being a very small little business in northeastern Ohio over the course of the next, uh, I guess it was thirteen, fourteen years, to becoming a multi-regional distributor covering the Midwest and and southeast United States. We expanded in, we had I think twelve locations and. 150 people and 50 some million in revenue, and so we had a very good run. And uh, through that, we also got involved in the assembly of the some of these electronic parts and cable assemblies. And we 
We founded a, a business called Maverick Electronics, which makes uh, electronic cable assemblies, which are a natural sort of associated selling product. And that was all good. It was fun. It was with my brothers. Being being in a family business, you hear horror stories and that. We were we sure. were a, a, the success story where we got along. Business was good. I think that helped. Uh, my older brother, Carl, he was a CFO and a finance guy. My younger brother, Jim, was the sales and marketing guy. And so neither one of them wanted to do what the other was doing. And I was the, the one in between and was always thinking of ways to try and make the business grow and move. And, and so we had a really good run. We ended up uh, getting the proverbial offer we couldn't refuse uh, by a company that was in the same business. And they had the East Coast and the West Coast. And so by combining with us, it made them a national company, and we sold the business in 1998. So that early success then sort of propelled me on a path to having more resources to do more entrepreneurial things. So I got back involved in electronics for a little bit. Through the course of things, met up with a couple of other people here in Cleveland that were you know, successful people, you know, business operators. Uh, um, so they had some some uh, capital to invest, and they had operating expertise. And so together we formed what we called Blue Olive Partners, a not so formal group. But, you know, in, in the private equity world, we would have what they call an independent sponsor model, which is a fancy way for saying, you know, if we find an investment we'd like, we we'd work with with people that we knew to raise money to pursue it. And so that that led me on a path to get involved in a couple of different things. And then we'll fast forward to 2014. Opportunity came up with uh, patio enclosures. And, and I know you're from New York, but if you grew up in Cleveland, you know, patio enclosures and the patio enclosures commercials, they were endless. And everybody knows the patio enclosures jingle, the product brand, you know, sunrooms and, and porch enclosures and that been around. At that time, it was 40 years. Now it's over 50 years. Because of the experience I had had at Pella with the direct-to-consumer model, this is what yeah. Enclosure was running, and the opportunity presented itself to uh, make an investment and, and help to lead the business. I, I, I would say, being as respectful as I can, you know, the company had lost its way a little bit in terms of its focus shifting away from just the the pet enclosures product, you know, they were doing a lot of things in the backyard. So it was, you want a sunroom and then there's a deck and then there's a patio and you want to do a backyard barbecue and, you know, we're cutting into your house to put the sunroom on. And that means interior, you know, so they they would say they were doing, they were doing lots of things that were outside of the scope. And so I, I saw opportunity to narrow the scope to what, it was that the company was good at, which was sunrooms, porch enclosures, and they had, they had the Stanic window product line as well. So, you know, replace the windows, sunrooms and enclosures. So saw the opportunity there. The other piece of this is because the business is direct to consumer, and this is what I learned you know, through the previous experience was, you know, the, 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 there is an ownership of the relationship with the, the customer in terms of, you know, what the, the customer sees our materials and that engages with us. And in the case with a the sunroom, there's people that have, you know, that 
they've seen him. They, I would love to have a sunroom, but never thought I could afford it. Or never, you know, always whatever. So part of it was us engaging with them, helping to create a vision, helping to figure out if what they wanted to do with their home could be designed, could it be achieved, and so on. So you, the relation starts with those kind of thoughts. Uh, and, and getting people to the point where they then will contact us and have a design consultant come out and sit down with them and figure out the feasibility of a project and let them have the range of options that's there and so on. And and and, and, and then pet enclosure is also the, the, the manufacturer, and the, the stuff's all manufactured here in, in Macedonia, and the installer. And we provide service and support. The full customer experience is directly with us. There, it's you know, it's a proverbial. There's no middleman. Right. You've got the full full vertical integration yes. approach to, to this model. So you know the, the 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 good news and the bad news is there's nobody else but us. And so if something's not right, <laughs> we've got to make it right because we're it's us. We're responsible. And if it goes well, then we're responsible for that too. But one of the things that we began to do was. One advantage of having direct interaction with customers and control of the relationship is you can then survey people to gauge how are things going. So, for example, if if, if you invite a, a pet enclosures person to your home, the design consultant comes in, he will go through things and so on. You, you know, with within I don't know, I think it's forty eight hours, you're going to get a survey and said, how did things go? Right, so we, we do a lot of in-process surveys, and they have plenty of feedback to give. <laughs> you know, sure. good, 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 bad, and different. Right, and so it was. Well, we boy, we we really ought to listen to that feedback, right? And so it was a matter of instituting a lot of things to collect data, collect information, build metrics and performance indicators, you know, KPIs on how we're doing. Yep. And and then driving, you know, what what I learned through all those years in manufacturing, you're driving for continuous improvement, right? So we would get it back. And let's say the surveys were only 80% satisfied. It's like, okay, the goal is we're not going to be 100% satisfied tomorrow, but the goal is to let's get to 81, you know, and then it's 82. And and so we we then de- developed the metrics, the score, the, the the scoreboard, if you will. And this is you know, how we're keeping track of ourselves based upon direct, unfiltered f- feedback from the people that we're trying to serve. And then further getting information about trying to understand how did a consumer engage with us in the first place? Why did you pick patio enclosures? Why did you select a stanic window? And what were the things that you looked at or touched that led you to us? And this is actually a, a bit of the holy grail in the direct-to-consumer business is to understand what's the source of people's interests and how do you feed that interest. And, and in most cases, you know, what the data will tell you is it's not any one particular thing. It was I didn't go to the website. I didn't hear an ad. I, this I, I, It's typically, on average, there's 12 touch points before somebody actually We'll get to the point where they'll pick up the phone. Right. I imagine particularly for a purchase, a consideration of this magnitude in, in people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we then started collecting data to understand that. And, and then it was the things that were helping people to find us, helping people to understand what we could do for them. It was like, well, these things are, are bringing people to us. We need to 
do more of those things. This, again, this continuous improvement thing. Like, <laughs> right, right. Do do more of the things that work. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we launched a really sophisticated strategy, which was you know, if we spend money in advertising or, or in a certain venue, and it had a lot of people indicating that that was something that mattered to them, bringing them to us, was do more of that. And if it didn't do that, then do less of that. But, so we started building the, the analytics, the, 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 the database, if you will, for that, started collecting that over the course of time. And, and what we learned was that you know, feeding the things that worked broadened the interest in the product and ended up with us having more satisfied customers. So we, we, we then thought, well, gee, we, if we accelerated the investment in the business into these areas, we could get more of the same, more consumer interest, higher levels of satisfaction with those that, that interact with us. And so the business started, between that and a strict product focus, the business started to accelerate. I know there's a, a few layers to this, but how, how do you kind of balance that intentionality on focus with some of the maybe parallel approach to, to growth strategy via acquisitions, right? Yeah. How do you kind of align those, those two to ensure that, you know, you, you can build a cohesion around, you know, the, those pieces while maintaining uh, a specific focus on the, the things you know are, are working? So I, I would say, Jeffrey, at, at that time, our, our focus was very heavy on these pieces that I was just rambling about. You know, it's the business model <laughs> and, and the, the customer, you've read good to great, you know, the flywheel of success. What is the fly? The flywheel was reaching out in effective ways to consumers to, to educate them on things that we could do that would help them improve how they live in their homes. Right. And, and, and then sort of bring them into the, the process and us going through and, and doing that process in a way that you know, left a, a high percentage of people feeling very satisfied. It's construction. Things are messy. Not everybody's 100 percent satisfied. We try really hard. But, you know, it's always about trying to wherever. That, and so it's, it's that and understanding that business model and that, I don't know, feeding that flywheel. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the business was also. Uh, developing. One of the things that I did in, in 2015 was recruited in a guy that I had met through the Pella Network uh, as our CEO. Um, and, and he had worked with Pella. And in between the time that I had met him at Pella, he also uh, r- ran a good portion of the Anderson Renewal business. So another direct-to-consumer business in the, the window space. So between the, the his experience and mine, we both had been operating with the you know, t- top tier brands in the industry. And, and, and so he brought some additional knowledge and expertise. And so we really got things going. So to your, to your question, as far as acquisition and that, at that time, so you know, 2015, 16, 17, we were uh, more focused on, I would say, building and validating the model and refining the model, the business model. And then, as the the story goes, once we became confident in it, we invested in it a bit more. So we we, we put a decent amount of money in, in in seventeen to really drive the things that we thought 
we believed in. We thought that the, you know that 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 would be effective, and and that worked really well. And so then it, it put us in a place where we thought, boy, we could we could start to expand the model now. Patio Closures, when I got there, had 12 locations, all in the sort of the Midwest, Northeast, and Mid-Atlantic United States. And we sold uh, the Stanic Window products in three markets, Cleveland, Buffalo, and Milwaukee. And so we thought that the right strategy would be to see if we could open new locations and put the model in place and grow it. So that's what we did. So in, in 19... Excuse me, 2018, we opened four locations, all relatively close to the locations we had. So in existing rough geography. So for example, we went to to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we were in Baltimore and Philly, right? So we were able to support these expansion moves with locations that were nearby. And we had gone we had evolved into a sort of a more regional structure. So each region was opening a new location. So we opened four locations and that went phenomenal, right? It, it, it exceeded all the plans and expectations that we had. And so then in 2019, I think it was, we opened nine locations. And so that was, you know, we were starting to, to accel- things were starting to accelerate. And that's then when the, the topic of acquisition and going to more strategic transactions, in addition to this sort of greenfield location strategy started to take hold. And that, that comes nearing on a time where, you know, obviously over the past few years, we, we've gone through this pandemic, but I'd love to, you know, hear the the recent story of how, you know, you mentioned, you know, construction, it, it can be a, a messy business, particularly in, in, in light uh, of the, the labor shortages of the last few years and the simultaneous skyrocketing demand for, for home improvement projects. And just, you know, how, how going into that uh, with, the work you had done over the previous few years as the, the company's growing, what did that look like? You're right, right? I mean, it, it, it's, so we're, we're running our, our playbook. We're opening new locations. We did an acquisition of a company down in Florida that made enclosures that were more appropriate for the Southern markets. So we're, you know, we're, things are going good. We, we're rolling into 2020 with plans to open. I think it was 15 locations and, you know, we were starting out gangbusters. Then of course, COVID hits, like everybody in the beginning, we were shocked and, and all that, but we fairly quickly realized that this was not a bad thing for businesses in the home improvement space because people were home a lot, right? So the first two, three weeks, first month or so, a lot of people pulled way back we pulled in and then quickly realized that we need to do the opposite and we need to double down and be aggressive. And so we took the, the, the location expansion plan and we put plans in place. So in 20, we opened 15 locations and we opened 21 locations in, in 21. You know, the, the, the view was it, the, it's an entrepreneurial thing, right? The, the market, the market opportunity, and we have all these sort of, metrics and we're close to the customer, we're getting feedback and the level of interest is, you know, all, all of the, the dials, so to speak, are indicating that we, we can keep going, we can go faster. And right. if you're an entrepreneur, you run. It's like, all right, let's go. How, how challenging of a decision was that to make in 
in this context where where everyone else is do, doing the exact opposite like knowing that this is the right opportunity to to double down on you're you're going to think I'm making this up but it it was <laughs> it was it was the decision was easy and it was easy because we 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 had the model and we had the 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 data right and, and the data said if we do these things these are the, this is the kind of outcomes that we could achieve and it also said and if we stop you're then guaranteeing that your business is going to flatline or go down and so it was the only decision was to double down and, and sprint and and it approved to be the right the right call but but I can't say it was it wasn't an intu- intuition thing it was a belief in the model and the and the, 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 the the analytics and the and the the, the information that we had in the, in the systems and what what it was telling us, right? And 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 in our, one of the beautiful things about this model is um, the cost structure that it's, everything is, is is variable, and so if you're managing it right, the the expenses and so on varies with whatever the volume is. And the volume picks up. You now when the volume picked up and we're trying to to to, to run with the the the, the uptick. It gets to the heart of the question you asked a couple of minutes ago, which is how did you staff and how did you manage that? And the answer to that was we ran hard and fast. And fortunately, we had, I'd like to think, you know, culture where people understood the objectives and they had a, have an ownership attitude and they're incentivized to drive for growth and, and, and all that. and the team, for the most part, embraced the challenge and 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 stepped up in it in a big way to, you know, and, and it was it was the most challenging time I, I've been through as a as a business operator because it's 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 hard. I mean, you, you got all these things going, but at the same time, you're worried about people's health and their safety, and, and you don't want to do anything to put people into an environment or situation where it's it's puts them in in arms way and every individual had their own individual take on the the situation and and their views yeah. on it and and all deeply personal but highly emotional and so we had to spend a lot more time listening and trying to be sensitive to what people are thinking and what they're feeling and you know we we, we adopted a couple of, a couple of strategies that have actually served us well as we got into some acquisitions later on here that I'm sure we'll talk about but it's you know as leaders it's the Ted lasso you know the quote you know, be, be curious not sure. judgmental right so it, it, <laughs> our, our, our mission was to just be curious try and understand what's going on and what right don't make any judgments just be try and understand it so it's be curious not judgmental. It's you know, seek to understand, right? And it, and once you understand, then good things flow f- from there. At least I'd like to <laughs> yeah. think, or more, or more good things than bad things. I don't know, but that that was so. Part of that was what carried us through. Part of it was trying. Just you just keep trying stuff, you know. So on the yeah. how do we find people? How do we find good people? How do we find people that are willing to sort of step into the environment that we've got where it was. Fast-paced, high pressure, a lot, you know, lot going on, and, and you know, and then you got the supply chain problems on, on top of that. So we're, right. you know, we're we're making 
commitments to customers we thought we could keep. And then next thing you know, you, you something blew up in the behind the scenes and, and we our lead times are slipping out. So the communication, the challenges of communicating were just huge. I think the collective grade on, on how we did with all that, I guess it would depend on who you talk to, but you know, I, I kind of view it like you, you customers vote with their their dollars and that and you know the business grew a ton. So the the organic business growth through that stretch with all these locations and that was was phenomenal. I mean, the company grew, not counting acquisitions, it grew 84% in 21, you know, the core business. Wow. It was a lot of work by, by a lot of people and people that just trying to keep the right mindset, the right attitude. How do you then take that kind of exponential growth that you've experienced and charted as a company over the last few years and, and kind of turn your lens towards the future where you know, you, you have to kind of manage the cyclical nature of this business. I, I, I don't have the numbers here, but my intuition would be that, you know, perhaps people are not, you know, going to have that same desire or interest, like the, the demand necessarily for, for home improvement at the, at the scale that they were over the pandemic. So, right, like, how, how do you think about, you know, going forward, you know, where are the opportunities you're excited about? Um, and, and just kind of, you know, managing those more, I don't know, macro economic trends. Well, you, you know, Jeffrey, it's really, it's fascinating, right? So as we look at sort of the environment that we're in now, interest rates are going up. The price of a, of, of a home has, existing home, new home, it, it's gone. They're, they're up at record levels. So if you're building homes or you're selling homes and, and mortgage rates now are north of what, 7%, and people yeah. have people have existing fixed rate loans that they locked in when the rate was, you know, two point eight percent. There's a lot of people that aren't going to be moving. Price of homes are too expensive, and they're not leaving behind. They're they're they can't afford to redo a mortgage, right? And and, and a lot of people even you know, refinance their mortgages and all that and locked in at low rates. So you know that, that, so. So the, the lens is, yeah, that boy, new construction housing is, is going to be, is in for a, a rough stretch. Okay, but there, there's a different perspective here, which is the perspective that we have, which is, so that what that means is, and, and by the way, you're talking about the shortage of homes that relative to the number of people that are looking for them, right? So what does that mean? That means it, 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 people that are in their homes that want more, they want more, they need more, they're around the home, they're working from home, they got more kids, whatever, they need more space, they want They they want to take care of their homes. What's going to happen? People are, are, are going to continue to remodel. If anything, the, the, the need and desire for remodeling is going to increase mm. during this stretch. And if you take that along with some of the, the, the other you know, trends that COVID really accelerated, which is people spending more time in their home, a lot, a lot more people work from home. So the desire for high quality space in their home is higher. People doing stuff that connects their home to their backyard, outdoor backyard living, you know, backyard patios and and all that. And, and that's a great concept, except if you live in Cleveland and it's nice to have a, a room that you could sit out outside by the fire pit, but come inside into your sunroom and right all that. 
And the other side of it is one of the things we didn't talk about was at the, at the end of 21, we did get aggressive. There were, there were a couple of businesses in our space that became available for sale. And the, the, the combina- we thought that the combination of the patio enclosures brand with some of these top rated window companies would be a great combination. And so we partnered up with the guys from Universal Windows Direct. And so we acquired Universal Windows Direct November 21. And on the heels of that, we acquired uh, Champion Windows and Home Exteriors in December of 21. And so that took us from a company that had 60 locations to a company that is essentially national now, 135 locations in 77 markets. Mm-hmm. And, and so part of that move, Jeffrey, sort of, it, it, it diversified our product offering. And it's this time of year, people, you know, it starts to get cold. And people realize, you know, I got to do something with these windows that they're drafting. They don't close <laughs> right. And, you know, so replacing windows often is more of a need. So right. we, 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 we strategically wanted a better balance of needs versus wants. And, and so that, that is, is proven to be a really good move for the company. So, so what, what, it's really a fascinating story. I love to, to maybe bookend it with some, you know, reflections that you have on, you know, the whole journey, you know, perhaps like what through, through your time and focus in kind of the, the, the spaces you've been operating in, you know, what has surprised you? What do people not understand about it that maybe you'd like them to? What, what are some of the things you've taken with you? You know, there's this myth that it's about the entrepreneur, right? It's like, oh, there's this guy, Ed, and he did, and the truth is, it, 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 it's, not, it's not about me at all, right? It's about a team of people coming together with common goals and a mission and getting things done. Especially at this point, you know, I, I'm like the spokesman. I, I, I don't install windows and build something, right? I mean, it's, it's about teams and people and being respectful and showing appreciation. And so, I, you know, I, was, I started out by saying you know, I had this belief that what made us successful in electronics could translate to other businesses. You know, you, you've got to build trust. People need to be able to believe you and what it is that you say, whether you're selling them a, a a window replacement job, or you're trying to determine who you're going to work with, right? It's it's about building trust, credibility, rapport, and getting with people that are like-minded and people that you know want to win. And then you can define how you win, and you make sure that everybody shares in the game. It's those kind of things I think are the fundamentals. It's all the businesses and that I've been involved with. I mean, that's you know. And, and and in those couple of scenarios I described that things were bad. I mean, there were, the, the trust components they 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 totally broken down, right? And people worried about themselves, and so it it, it sounds trite and obvious and all that, but it's true as you look to the sort of fundamentals as to what what works and why it works, and and people can see through, you know, a guy that sits in my chair, if they're BS or people they pick it up right away, right? If you, if you don't really live it and you don't give a damn and you don't really care about them, people know. <laughs> and so I find that the the key is you're trying to just talk to people and listen to people. And I, I, I do. I think this mantra I was talking about before about, you know, be curious, not judgmental and seeking to understand and, and, and then yes. finding ways to create everybody wins kind of scenarios and and communicate a lot. 
that's what works. I think it is often the, the, the trite but true things that hold for perhaps because they are so simple and, and uh, you know, it's, you got to treat people how you would like to be treated and take care yeah. of them. And those carry a lot of weight. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 funny. I, I I'm not sure where exactly I picked it up along the way, but I, I we we have a thing that we put together. It's called the, the the team commandments. And at this point, well, it's interesting. So I I don't know where I, I picked them up. This was probably 25 years ago, and I'd sent it out because it just sort of resonated with me. And you know, and it's things like, you know, number one is help each other to be right, not wrong. Two is look for ways to make new ideas work, not reasons they won't. Number three, if in doubt, check it out. Don't make negative assumptions about each other, right? And, and help each other win. Take pride in each other's victories. And uh, then down to, you know, the last one is, is have fun, right? And uh, right. It's just sort of basic stuff. But what, what I noticed was I, I, I'd go to visit a location or whatever, and, and, and somebody would have printed out and pinned the thing up on the – on their cubicle or on, on the, in the office or on the, in the lunchroom, you know, it's like, wow. And so this has become a staple of, of ever, everywhere that I've gone. And it's, it's gotten enough traction at, at, at great day at this, at this point to be like, Hey, you got to find new ways to make the idea work. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, in some ways it's, it's really, really uncomplicated, but it's not simple. Well, We'll close it out with the traditional closing question that I have for everyone on the show, which is uh, really tied to, to, to just Cleveland and, and less about uh, business, but uh, for our, your favorite hidden gem in the city. Oh, well, there, there's a, a uh, Napoleon-style pizza place in Chagrin Falls. It's right on the Chagrin River overlooking the falls. It's called Italian, and they have the, the, the best pizza and all of Cleveland, Naples, Italy style. So it's made with this the Caputo dough. So it's it's it. You know, American pizza is really cheesy and doughy, and that. And this is not. It's so Italian and Chagrin Falls. Excellent. Well, Ed, I really appreciate uh, you coming on and and for for sharing your story and and the work you're doing. Uh, appreciate the, the the interest, and it's been a lot of fun. If folks had anything they wanted to follow up with you about, uh, you know, questions. Thoughts, you know, what, what would be the, the best way for them to do so? I'm pretty easy to find. You know, Weinfurtner is not a common name. So you know, a, a, <laughs> a, a, a quick a quick Google will get you to the links. My contact information is out there for the world to see. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you again, Ed. All right, bud. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week.